Let's dive right in this morning. I want to read uh, the passage that the station comes out of this morning. And this passage, this, the station this morning is Jesus meets the, wim- the women of Jerusalem. And I, I want, I'm, it's a short, uh, four verses, but I'm going to read it to us twice. So I'll read it once, just kind of take in the details. When I read it again, um, if something sticks out to you, just allow that to speak to you. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in that kind of moment with you. Uh, and then hopefully we can unpack it a bit and see, see, if, see if we've got something for us this morning. So we're reading in Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 27. And this is, so Jesus um, has, has carried the cross for a bit. And I don't know in this moment if, uh, if Jesus is carrying the cross again or if Simon is carrying the cross, but that's just kind of your, uh, you, can, you can picture it how you want. So a large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when we will say, Fortunate are de- indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? A large crowd trailed behind Jesus, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child and the breasts that have not nursed, that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? The large crowd that's in Jesus, it included these the grief-stricken women, daughters of Jerusalem, they're called. And we don't know who these women were specifically. Um, but as Jesus is led to his execution, these women, they mourned and lamented for him. And this was actually a practice of them, uh, of women in Jerusalem, that they would do this for people who were, being, who were condemned to walk to Golgotha, who were condemned to be crucified, right? There was a group of women who went out for every crucifixion, and what they would do is they would offer antidotes or sedatives, um, and this was kind of like in a fulfillment of a rabbinic tradition that kind of looked at Proverbs 31, which talks about, um, uh, talks about behavior of women. And it's, it actually says, alcohol is for the dying and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. So 
the practice of women, some women in Jerusalem, that they would go out and they would offer uh, sedatives and drinks to people who were on the way to their death. It was kind of like a last mercy. And it was seen as a, a grace that was offered. Right? And again, we don't know, because there's lots of people who like to presume that uh, some of the some of Jesus' followers, the female Jesus, followers of Jesus were present, but we don't really know who they were. We just know that these women were there and they were with Jesus when so many others had abandoned him. And they're weeping and they're mourning. If you look at the original Greek in this, the, this, uh, the grief-stricken that's translated in the NLT, it's... It actually says that they were weeping and beating their breast or hitting their chest, which is like a signing, uh, a kind of a cultural sign of lament and of mourning. And it's not like sometimes we say like, oh, it's beating your breast like as if it's a meaningless. For them, it was something meaningful. It was, it was intense feelings that they were expressing. And they're crying and they're offering these sedative drinks to help ease the passing. We don't know if Jesus took anything. Um, we imagine probably that he didn't, but we don't know. And the, these women were kind of official mourners. And they were acting out of a, a sense of following God's commandments. And it's these women that Jesus pauses to speak to. Recently, I was, I was in a meeting with someone that had gone through a difficult time at their church. They had been on staff they weren't on staff anymore, and they had gone through a significant amount of conflict. And I don't know if you know this, but whenever there's conflict at a church, rumors abound, right? Um, and this, this individual was going on what he actually openly called a my side of the story tour. So he was connecting with any, uh, anyone who might have been familiar with what was going on at the church that he had been working at. And he was trying to tell his side of the story. That, and you guys don't know who it is, so it doesn't really matter, but um, he was making sure that, that I, kind of being familiar with a bit of what was going on, knew that the rumors about him were unfounded and that him as an individual was in the right. And that the, the people of the church had obviously been wrong and offended him. And I remember sitting in this meeting and feeling like the, any respect that I'd had for this person was slowly, actually quickly evaporating. You ever been in that moment? Right? Where you're just like, oh, my word. The more you talk, the more I'm struggling to listen. And I was really happy to connect. It was someone who I, I wanted to, to, to chat with and connect with. And I didn't feel he actually needed to defend himself, which was too bad. And I really, what was highly unfortunate is that in this conversation, he, to defend himself, he debased and, and talked trash about others, which was really unfortunate. And in that moment, as I was losing respect and thinking like, I can't believe he's even doing this, I was convicted because I realized that I often go on my own little, my side of the story tour. I often uh, work to protect my own image, both personal and public, and I, well, I try not to, I wouldn't, 
there's times when I have attacked the image of others in order to make myself look good. I imagine I'm not alone in this, but we won't look for public confessions at this time. Right? And as I was kind of thinking about this and reflecting on this moment where Jesus finally has an audience, this would have been his perfect moment for to tell his side of the story. Right? Jesus has been wrongly accused, humiliated, beaten, and nobody, he's not really speaking up, but nobody is even trying to listen to him. And finally, there's a crowd of women who are there and willing to listen. Finally, Jesus could have told his side of things, but he doesn't. Jesus doesn't think of himself, even in this moment. He stays God-centered and others-focused. It would have been a beautiful opportunity for Tim to tell them how he had been mistreated, to reach out to the last of those who had listened to him, to tell these women that the charges were false, or to reach out and ask the people to rise up against the Roman occupation and the Jewish religious leaders who had brought Jesus to this point. But instead, he speaks to them as daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. but weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus is quoting the prophet Hosea, specifically Hosea chapter 10, verse 8, where it says, And the pagan shrines of Avon, the place of Israel's sins, will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow up around their altars, and they will beg the mountains, bury us, and plead with the hills to fall on us. In this moment, instead of Jesus focusing on himself, he tries to tell them that his death or the death of any innocent has massive ramifications for our future, for the future for our children. Because if you read on in Hosea and you go down to um, chapter 10, verse 12, it says, I said plant, this is God speaking to Israel, I said plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up hard the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the lord that he may come and shower righteousness upon you but you have cultivated wickedness and harvest a thriving crop of sins you've eaten the fruit of lies trusting in your military might believing that great armies could make your nation safe we read this in hosea that god asked the people of a of Israel to plant seeds of righteousness, seeds of justice, to do the hard work of changing their hearts so that they could have righteousness and goodness for the next generation. But unfortunately, they chose not to. They instead thought of themselves and cultivated wickedness, trusting in military might. And so they reaped what they sowed. Later, Paul is writing to the Galatians And he says to them, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy in their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. But those who live live to please the, the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing 
if we don't give up. Jesus takes the time in this moment to warn the daughters of Jerusalem that we harvest what we plant. We reap what we sow. And there is a time coming based on what we are planting that we will beg for the mountains to fall on us. Jesus could have tried to tell his side of the story. He could have tried to rally a rebellion in that moment. But instead, Jesus takes the time to think of others. To think of those who would have largely been forgotten and ignored and warn them that if we continue to live this way, that if the innocent can be murdered to please a mob, then we have to be wary of the harvest that is coming. God allows us, I, th- I think, to, to face our consequences. And I think he does this ultimately because he loves us. To take away our consequences is to take away our choice. And he wants us to choose. Unfortunately, that makes it, means that sometimes we have to live with our poor choices, just as Israel did. This is why Paul said to the Galatians to never tire of doing good, even when we can't see the fruit, that there will eventually come a day. There will eventually come a day. The other thing Jesus does here that I think is significant is he doesn't tell them to stop. I have a two-year-old, so it feels like I'm always saying, stop crying. Right? But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say, this, like, don't cry, go do something, which would probably be kind of our tradition, our more bent as Westerner kind of like production-oriented thinking, right? We, you know, weeping and mourning, they're often considered to be signs of weakness. We say things like, crying's not going to help anybody, you know, you need to go out and do something to make a difference. And I don't want to understate actually doing something, because I do think that's important. But you have to notice that Jesus didn't tell him to stop. Actually, there's times in Jesus' life where he himself wept. He cried, he mourned, he lamented. He wept for his friend Lazarus, that even though he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still took the time to mourn his passing. Jesus still wept in that moment. He also, we, we read that in Luke 19 that he wept for Jerusalem as a whole. Right? This is just after he's come to Jerusalem kind of in that triumphal entry where people are praising and calling out his name. But it, it says, as he came closer to the city and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. And Jesus didn't tell the women of Jerusalem to stop crying, to stop mourning, to stop lamenting because mourning, weeping, and lamenting play an important role for us as human beings. To jump, I think, right into action, uh, we are in danger of missing out on humility on the opportunity to humble ourselves. And I think if we have not first mourned our loss and lamented the wrong, then we have to be wary of any solution we come to in that moment. Henry Nouwen wrote this. 
Their tears are tears that well up from their innermost being. There are no words, no explanation, no arguments, no meaningful reflections. War, violence, murder, and destruction need tears. Many tears. The questions why, by whom, for what purpose have no answers. The world would be better with more such tears and fewer answers. They well up from a place beyond bitterness, resentment, and vengefulness. They are shed as an offering as useless love, as an expression of solidarity, as a true act of non-violence. Tears have a place. Just as Jesus wept, so can those who follow him. But Jesus didn't command them just to weep, to mourn, and lament, right? He didn't say, cry for me. He shifted the focus of the lament from himself onto others. Jesus, in the midst of his suffering and humiliation on the, world, on the way to, to his execution, thinks of others. Thinks of those who will come after, for the children, for future generation, and he laments at the harvest they will reap because of actions taken today. Jesus, even in his last moment, turns our focus towards others and invites us to mourn and lament with him, to mourn for the suffering of humanity that Jesus ultimately came to heal. I think if we're truly sad because of the suffering and the pain that Jesus suffered, that Jesus went through, we have to include in our sadness all the humanity who suffer in our present world. If we cry over the death of an innocent man from Nazareth, then, can, then we should also cry for the millions of innocents who have suffered under the long history of humanity. For those who are suffering now. This was a pretty, I don't know if you guys realize, but this was a pretty heavy week. I, uh, and maybe for us particularly here, but if you follow Guelph News, you might have noticed that there was a murder in Guelph earlier this week. And what you might not know is that there are those actually in our community who witnessed this. And there's many others who are impacted by it because violence, murder, destruction do not come without consequences. And my hope is that we can be a people who mourn, who weep, who lament for those who felt the impact of this. but also for those who are so far removed that they didn't even notice that it happened in our city. Later in this, this same week, as almost as far away from Guelph as you can get, we saw Russia invade the Ukraine and we saw the world change. Depending on how other nations react in this next little while, you know, we could be seeing the beginning of a world encompassing conflict. That's huge. But even if it doesn't turn into that, we still bear witness to a significant moment. I'm reminded of a quote from Mahatma Gandhi, who says, what does it matter to the dead, to the orphans, and to the homeless whether the mad destruction is wrought under the name of totalitarianism, or the holy name of liberty, or democracy? Ukraine is being overrun by mad destruction, and the most vulnerable, the dead, the orphans, the homeless, will receive the brunt of this impact. 
And I don't know what we can all do in this moment, but I hope that we again can be a people who mourn, who weep and lament for those in Ukraine and Russia. But also that we can mourn and lament for those who are so far removed that we didn't even notice this happening. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, it's the and it's the beginning of Lent. And a few weeks ago, we talked about, about fasting and invited you to think and pray about what it could look like for you to fast during the Lent season, Lenten season. And if you're planning on partic participating in Lent, I wonder what it would look like for you to fast in a way that was focused on others. Just as Jesus kind of modeled for us, even in this moment, as he meets with women and takes the focus off himself, could we take the focus on ourselves, off of ourselves for the next while? And I don't want to prescribe anything that kind of goes against the way we function and think, but maybe, maybe if you're in thinking about a fast, you think about something that would save a bit of money and that money could go towards helping people in Guelph who are dealing with grief or maybe help alleviate some of the suffering of Ukraine. And that we could have a way of living that is Jesus-centered and others-focused, even in the midst of this. Or maybe there's another way you can do that. But that's, I think, the challenge for us this morning, is how do we live a way in a way that mourns, laments, and weeps for the hurt and the brokenness in our world? I'm just going to close this morning with... Uh, the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not Seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Go in the lament modeled for us by our Lord and Savior. Amen.